Uh, this is the uh, Restoring, Renewing Education Seminar. Uh, there'll be people coming in. Um, uh, there's, seat, there's some seats in the front row if you're coming in late. Um, I'm a little bit of a fill-in on this. Uh, the headmaster of our school, David Kirkendall, was supposed to be here to kind of host this and uh, even speak to it. Uh, but he is uh, really, really sick, and so he wasn't able to do it. So uh, I'm filling in as kind of the moderator of this discussion. Uh, but we've got two, um, we got two people who um, are, are, are well-known. One's well-known here. I'll introduce the other, um, who are going to be speaking. And kind of the format of it is, is I've asked each of them to kind of share kind of a brief presentation uh, kind of prepared thoughts and then I'm going to turn around and follow up with that uh, with questions and and all that different stuff uh, let me introduce um, the, the, the folks who will be speaking uh, Cynthia Jones everybody at our church should probably know Cynthia Jones uh, this is Nate Jones's wife uh, coach coach's wife uh, and uh, by far the better half and uh, don't you think, Coach? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bob's sitting in the back. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely the best speaker of the two. Um, and Cynthia will be speaking. She, she is in education. She's in public education here in Lexington and uh, at Dunbar High School and does a lot of thought thinking about that. Um, and then the other one is Shane Terrell. Uh, some of you may not know Shane. Shane is a partner in the ministry. He's at uh, Grace Presbyterian. He's the pastor of Grace Presbyterian in Danville. Um, and Shane has um, a big family. Um, Y'all done every education option, haven't you? Yes. You've tried it all. Yeah. All right. And uh, and he's worked. He's worked with families through this. Has put a lot of thought as both a, a father and a pastor. Has put a lot of thought into the issue of education and what does that look like and, and all that. So um, he's going to be talking. Cynthia's going to be talking. Um, and uh, let me let me just say this I, I think we got Teresa's here Anita's here um, I, I said it then the Kirkendall was supposed to be here and I'm filling in for him like I did for him yesterday uh, but uh, so you won't there won't be as much representation um, from David and uh, Trinity uh, as we had hoped and intended I'll, I might speak to that a little bit as we kind of get into the discussion but uh, many of you know I hope all of you know that our, our church also has a school Trinity Christian Academy. Um, it's a classical Christian education. And um, I, one of the things I hope comes out of this discussion, as you see, is that education is, um, is, an, is an important discussion for parents to have. Uh, it's a role in the community is important, all those things. There's a lot of different factors, but, but um, we do have a school, and it is an excellent school. And some of the faculty is here. Um, Anita, why don't you stand up, Anita? Anita is the president, uh, the principal. I almost called you president. <laughs> You're the prince. She's the principal of our upper school. So, so she's a principal of our upper school. Uh, Danielle Witherington is here. She does the um, early learning education um, at Trinity. Teresa's a legend. She she's uh, been at Trinity. How long have you been at Trinity, Teresa? Fourteenth year and done done education there. So anyway, uh, how many of you are in education? How many of you are teachers? I know this whole contingent over here. Yeah, that's fa fantastic. Okay, cool, cool. So I think this, I think this would be good. Oh, and Luke, Luke's the chaplain um, and Bible teacher uh, at the upper school, and he's the chaplain attorney. So big representation there. But anyway, Shane, I'm gonna let you get going. I'm gonna let you start off, and then Cynthia, I'll let you go, and then I'll kind of engage it and, and all that stuff. That's great. So privilege to be with you. See a lot of familiar faces, 
And, um, you know, I'm coming at this really from a pastoral uh, view. As a shepherd of shepherding people with multiple backgrounds within my own church, is a pretty widespread of uneducated, educated, and highly educated. Um, and then, as he mentioned there, you know, as a parent, um, just we've tried it all and, uh, and done different from homeschool to Christian uh, to public. And um, so I just really want to come at it from a principal level. So how does the gospel kind of speak to education and bring in restoration to it? I'm going to give you two thoughts. Uh, it does it in two ways. Here's how the gospel speaks to education, I think. It puts education in its proper place in our lives. That's what the gospel ought to do. It ought to move education to its proper place. And then secondly, uh, it ought to be implemented. The gospel says, I think, that uh, education ought to be implemented by faith, in faith, if you will. So those are your two thoughts to walk with. Those are my two premises. The gospel puts education in its appropriate place. And then it also, it ought to be implemented, applied, if you will, by faith, that's what it would cause it. So we dive into the first one, just that it ought to be implemented, I mean, uh, it puts it in its proper place. If you just canvass the Bible, uh, Paul was highly educated. Um, Gamaliel was this, you know, the rabbi that trained him did a lot. Um, Moses was educated uh, by, in, by the Egyptians. Uh, he would have been well trained in all of um, what we know about their educational system, just of engineering and just broad, broad, his education would have been top notch. Also, just Solomon. You know, what was said about Solomon was that there was no king upon the earth wiser or more educated than him throughout the East into Egypt. I mean, there's all kinds of things that say that about Solomon. Also, though, it also see in the Bible that um, the apostles, only one was educated, Matthew. That's why his is the longest. He's a, it's a lengthy gospel in writing that. That had minimal education, and Jesus was not educated. Actually, in Mark 6, he goes back to uh, Nazareth, uh, to his little small town of 500, and there he's actually made fun of. And they, they, the way they question him is, who has trained you? And done that. And you think about, well, Jesus knew everything. He didn't need to go be educated. But he did it. He followed the law and the systems pretty uh, um, explicitly and was making sure that he was showing himself to be culturally relevant and Jewish. So uh, anyway, just, those, so just the idea that there's even a balance, even in the scriptures, that we see no one way to do it. But here's what I mean in its proper place. I just think this. I think uh, education, a couple of thoughts in it, is that it's a refined idol. That's what I would call it within our culture, a refined idol. Uh, and what do you mean by that? Just that we're, it's one of those things in our culture, and particularly within the church, that we're given permission to kind of live our lives for without really being questioned. It's just a refined one. It's not, it's not blatant. You say, well, I'm, I need to be educated. Oh, go do whatever you need to do for education. And that's kind of where it, where it goes. Um, I'll tell you this. One of the ways you can know what an idol is of a culture is where does money flow effortlessly? And you could apply that to your own life. Look at your own life. Where does your money flow effortlessly? Right now, um, the statistics are uh, nearly 1.3 trillion in students. So I see a lot of students here. It would be interesting to poll you on this. Uh, 1.3 trillion dollars in student loan debt spread out among 44 million borrower, borrowers. This is of 2016. The average class, uh, in fact, the average of class of 2016 is 37,172 in loan debt, up 6% from last year. Um, in 2012, 71% of students graduating from four-year colleges had student loan debt. Um, where your money flows, you know, I'm not going to get into all that, but that, I think you could follow the money and say that there is some sort uh, of idolatry there. And it's refined. I, one other way to think about education uh, is similar to money, I think. Like, you know, I've never had anybody come and confess to me, man, I am just greedy. I mean, that's, as a pastor, nobody's ever confessed that. And I've had adultery. I've had most of the other sins confessed to me, but greed's not because money's kind of a gateway 
kind of, uh, you don't really worship money. Money kind of gives you, the, is a means to your idols, right? To your power, to your control, to your affluence and those type things. Education kind of isn't always the idol we kneel down to, but it's oftentimes viewed, I think, as the one that can get you to you what you want, whether it be prestige or, or power or uh, any of the other kind of core idols. Even safety, I mean, right? I mean, control. I mean, some people just, I grew up a bunch of, bunch of educators as a young boy, and it was just, you've got to get your education so you can take care of yourself, and it was just like, you'll, you'll never make it if you don't get one. Um, so, driven maybe by safety. So, please know, as I say that, we're refining it. It's not, not that, we, oftentimes what idols are are, good, are bad things, are good things that we kind of kneel down to. Another way, just I think it needs to be put in its proper place, is that we define ourselves by uh, is it can be, it ought to, we define ourselves by our idols, and um, I think education, most people define themselves in our culture by where they're educated from, what they do. Um, the famous verse, but it's pretty simple, right? Jeremiah 29, 23, I mean, Jeremiah 9, 23, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. But let him who boasts, boast in what? Boast in this, that he knows and understands me, verse 23. And so, um, what you boast in. So it's interesting um, just how we compare institutions and how they're kind of a badge of which one's better than the other. And um, You know, it's a, we had a, one of our officers' son um, really just didn't fit education. He just decided, man, school's just not for me. And so he went the, went the blue collar out, if you will, and got a trade and it does that. And I love that they did that, right? I mean, if we're honest, uh, in, in Taste Creek and PCA Presbyterians, we're pretty wide, upper middle class, educated folks. We have a high value on education. And we look at the, the blue collar trades and, mm, just down deep, we, mm, just a little less. When our Savior was a rock mason or a carpenter, he probably worked with both on purpose. Um, I think that was that. So it can become what we define ourselves by. The gospel ought to put it in its right place, that we don't define ourselves by where we go. It's subtle. It's there. And in its proper place, it doesn't replace parenting. And that's probably one of the things I'm trying to... Um, a, common, a common phrase you'll hear parents say is, like, well, I've I got to get them a good education. I gave them a good education. Even as their children go off, now I educated you. Listen, I've been at Center in that town for 15 years, and those kids are getting great educations. And I assure you, most of them, or many of them, are longing for more than just the education from their families and from their parents in that way. And so that's kind of the phrase. Right, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Y'all know that. Write it on the doorpost. What was it talking about? That you know that they know this, that you love God. Uh, with all your heart. Do that. What does Psalm 145 say to, for us to do the next generation? What does it say to do? It says to declare to them the wondrous deeds of who God is. And so uh, our primary job as parents is not to educate them. It's a subcategory of declaring to the next generation the wonderful deeds of who God is. And it'll feed that. It can feed that. Um, so Next, um, well, let me just, next, just if it's in its proper place, another thought is if education is in its proper place, then it's not the goal of parenting. I know that sounds similar to it replaces parenting, but it's also not the goal of parenting. Um, the way I try to think about education for my children is Luke 2.52, one of the small verses we have about Jesus and his life as a young, young man. It tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. 
And so when I sit down and think about what I am as a parent, those are the categories. I'm like, this is good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. Wisdom. And notice it doesn't say knowledge. Because there's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge. Uh, but it's wisdom, stature. So there's emotional and lots of things going on. I got a lot of girls. I have five. I got girls. There's a lot of emotion we're working through. A lot of those type things. Favor with God. Favor with people. I mean, our goal as parents is a holistic development of who they are. Um, I think that's what we do at uh, another one in that is just I, I so realize as parents they feel like the goal is to educate and I don't know if they ever think about the Genesis 2 of marriage where it says to leave and cleave I don't know if you've thought about this but before parents were made the first couple before they they didn't have parents but when they when God when Adam made a uh, when God made Eve for Adam, and he said, well, bone, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to her. So pre-parents, before there's a parent anywhere, make sure you leave them. And do, as parents, we have, do you think about that, is that my job is to prepare them to cleave? That's a huge, those, those, there's a lot bigger um, that, yeah, I guess I'm talking about sex, yeah, that way to leave, that's what the verse is talking about. But just to be one in marriage and to do that, all right? And then just uh, lastly in its proper place under that thought um, is just to see that um, the gospel really says that if education's in its right place, uh, I think not only is it not an idol, doesn't replace parenting, it's not the goal of parenting, it's a subset of that, it's also, um, it's just understood to be an application of parenting, right? Like, Many times we teach things as if they're law, and they're really an application of that, right? So um, is it a command of scriptures for us to spend, have a quiet time with God in the morning? No. Right, Jesus, we do know that he did that. Mark 1.35, early in the morning while it was still dark outside, Jesus departed to a quiet solitude place and began to pray there. We also know in John 17 that he, that he uh, prayed in the evening. We also know that it says that he often withdrew to be alone with the Lord. The principle is that we are to be with God. The application may be for you to do it in the morning. Does that make sense? Education is an application of, of us being parents. It is part of that. So it needs to be in its proper place. And then the other thing the gospel does is that it should cause us to implement faith, um, implement education by faith. So... Um, so first one would not be as an idol. So I think, you know, all of us have to just take education, look at it, revisit it. I think a good, a good question to know if you're a parent is that to ask your children, this is kind of scary, do you feel that you're measured by how you're doing well? Is, does your, your whole, are you measured and your worth defined by how well you're doing in school? That's a great question. It's a scary one to ask your children. Um, now, schools will be teaching them that in places, but... Are we addressing it? Maybe, you know, one, one thing to ask you, maybe, these are just good questions to try to think of and maybe see where you help you with your idol, repenting of the idol. Could you ask your child not to, or could you take a less, take only two instead of four AP classes because you need a lighter load at home because your family needs to do more together? Oh, we've got to take them all. We've got to get college prepared. I mean, right, you got to get, I mean, you know how that train's pulling along. It pulls pretty fast in that way. Uh, but the, to be implemented by faith would be to repent of the idolatry, to address it. Also would just be not, when I say when you move out in faith and education, would not be driven by fear. And that's mostly what I see. 
uh, oftentimes. It's just it's fear-based uh, oftentimes. Let me just say this. I think you can make uh, all three decisions. Don't, I don't think, uh, I know homeschooling, private Christian, or public, neither of the three is better than the other. I'm going to say that again. Biblically, I don't think you can make an argument that any of those three is one is better than the other. And I promise you that each one of them, you exchange one set of problems in this one for another set of problems over here. There's different problems in each one. And I, actually, that's some of the seminars I've done is helping people compare and work through that. I'm not going to get into that. I'll make an answer according to that. Um, but you just exchange one set of problems for the other. Why are they not better? Because educating our children is an application of the Scripture to parent them. It's not. And, and Jesus actually re rebuked the Pharisees for teaching applications as if they were law. So, if in any way you feel, now it's okay for you to have a strong conviction about what you're doing, but don't take it as far as to say this is the most right way to educate. Um, and most of the time, what I mean out of fear, um, you know, oftentimes there's a fortress mentality, or maybe to avoid sometimes, maybe when you go the, the private or the Christian or the or the homeschooling route, maybe there's some protection and fear. But what I've learned is, is that the sinful heart goes to all three places. And within our church, we got pornography, sex, active in sex, pornography, and all kinds of addictions happening in all three, all three of the schools. And happening in the children, struggling with it, within all three of those education uh, lanes. So... I worked in college ministry for 16 years. I can tell you this, that homeschoolers, Christian and public, all three showed up. Usually it was just, it was equal and having the same type struggles. Sometimes there were different struggles for how they engaged in college, but there's no way to get it. And by the way, all the, it's getting, there's really nowhere to go. We're the minority as Christians anyway, right? So, and, that. and so uh, um, the last one, just that we'd move out in faith. Um, uh, this is what I mean by it. I think when you, when you educate, what I try to push towards the positive is this. Is that are you, by faith, are you, are you considering all the commands of the Scriptures? When you do it, do you think about vision in your family? What are you uniquely wired and called to do? What is, what is that? Do the kids pull it or do the husband and wife pull it? Which way? What's it come under? What are you wired to do? Training in godliness, stewardship of finances, the Great Commission. Um, how do you think about it? Are all those in play... Or is education what you choose just kind of a convenient <laughs> idol and you can just kind of, nobody can really press you on it. But I think you ought to be able to have to, I think you, when you make your decision, whatever it is, the needs of your own children, even the needs of the community, you've got to, we have to figure out how to uh, bring all the principal scriptures into play, not just a couple, when you educate. So I'll leave it at that. On January 19th, a former student of mine was shot and pronounced dead in the early hours of the next morning. This was a student I had last year. One of my saddest days of working in public school was the day I stood with one of my current students as she interpreted my words in Spanish to the mother of the student who had been shot as we stood near his coffin. But as I walked away, I couldn't stop thinking about the incredible privilege that God had given me to stand in, the, in this moment for this time so that I could encourage this mother with the love of Christ. Again. That's okay.
have a little PowerPoint as a teacher. <laughs> I have to have a PowerPoint. Okay, here we go. This is my school, Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School. We have 2,500 students at my high school. That's fine, you can go on. And these are my boys, my husband, Nate. And um, my journey in, public, in the public school system began 10 years ago when I obtained my master's in secondary English education and began teaching in public school. I had a journalism degree and then I went back and got my master's um, in English education and then I, I'm currently pursuing a master's in school counseling. Okay. And I'll, I'm going to use this as kind of my, go on. Um, how the gospel and education go together. The centerpiece of Tim Keller's um, study, Gospel and Life, which I, I kind of, this was really motivating to me, I loved this, is Jeremiah's letter to the, the Jewish exiles. And he explains as follows, that in 586 B.C., Jerusalem was, was destroyed and the elite of Jewish society were exiled to Babylon, taken by force. And Jeremiah wrote these words. And I'll, I just want to highlight, because for time, um, I'm just going to move on and not read it. But verses 5 and 6 um, seem to stress living as part of the culture. It embraces the culture. Embrace the culture you live in. Live alongside of those who don't identify with Christ. And I don't believe that means just seeing them at the pool or at the ballpark. It's like living life with these people, like getting to know them, getting, spending time with them to where you know what's going on in their lives. Um, and I think that the key phrase is to get involved. And as our family lives alongside our neighbors, part of that for us meant that they attend public school. And two caveats to that are that you, that it's on, you do things on your terms and your life must be different. And I'm going to come back to that. And then secondly, we, we know that scripture says to be in the world but not of it. But the Bible also speaks clearly about where it says, you know, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the, to the glory of God and let your light shine before others so that they can see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Because we have the Holy Spirit living inside us. We live and work closely alongside of those who don't identify with Christ, doing the same things, yet doing them differently. And one of those, I'll just give you an example, because I, I imagine the Jewish, Jewish exiles living with the Babylonians except not compromising in their faith. That's the key because if you're compromising, you, there's no, you have no testimony, you have no witness. Your life has to be that you're, you're living alongside them, but your life looks different. So you're doing the same things, but you're doing things differently. And one example of that is cheating is just huge in this culture for every, across the board in every school cheating and we had I know for one example is um, my son I, one of my students that I have and she had a class with with Will and she said well I saw Will he was giving his notes to letting somebody copy his notes in Spanish class and I said really <laughs> oh okay and I asked Will about it he was like they asked me for it though I didn't want to tell them no and we kind of had to work through the whole idea of 
you know, how do you deal with, I mean, he wanted, he was doing it not because he wanted to, but because he wanted their approval. How do you tell someone, I'm not going to give you my notes, you know, but that's something you have to work through, that you need to struggle with that and decide. We have to as adults, how are you going to tell someone, I, you know, it's awkward, but how are you going to work through your issues? You need to do that. And then another one was that he, one of his classes, AP class, the notes or the quiz was online. The multiple choice answers were online. And he said, Mom, everybody made, everybody made 100 on it. But because I wouldn't, oops, because I wouldn't, I didn't do it. So my grade's lower, you know. But it's okay, I mean, that, but that's what you have to work through is you need to be different. People have to see that you're diff living a different life. Um, if you go, you know, in public, you know, you, if you go to dances and you're not the one, you're not getting drunk and getting high, you're going to parties, you're attending parties, you're living your life doing social things, but you're not living it the same way. Um, we went on spring break, some of y'all know this, we took um, Nathan's friends on spring break and a lot of parents were like, you're taking that many kids on spring break and there's not going to be any alcohol and drugs you know like we don't know you know and we did and that it's possible to live you know to live you have but that's that's part of praying about it and living it out is your life has to look differently and as a teacher my goal is to be a good employee to show up early every day work my tail off and I don't want them to look at me and say, well, she, yeah, she's a Christian, but she's a slacker. She doesn't, she, you know, she's always trying to get out of her work. And, you know, there's people that do that. I want them to think that I work hard. And, I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. But do I live my life in a way that is going to make them attracted to my faith? If they hear that, that I, I'm a Christian, I go to church, you know, are they going to want to, are they attracted to that? Do they, because of how I live my life and I attempt to. Do I make mistakes? Yes, but do I apologize? Do I admit my weaknesses? So I want to leave my school a better place than it was when I came. And then, um, let's see, what is this one? This part of the verse, it says, you know, when it thrives, you thrive. So I want my school to be better than it, I want to help my school be better. Let's see, there's an example, yeah. This, and I said high involvement, be involved. This is a group leaders in the making. It's for minorities, mostly minorities, for anyone, but minorities and lower income kids come and we help them be exposed to going to college. Many of them have never, they don't know, they don't have parents that went to college. They don't know how to get into college. They don't know about doing community service, writing, or. Uh, how to even fill out a college application. Their parents aren't doing that. They don't, they don't know anything about that. So we work with them on, we take them around and they go to, on college visits and they say, oh wow, I could go to college? This is something new. Like I'm gonna try to, I wanna make, I wanna, you know, make good grades and now I've got something I can work for. Now it matters, I, wanted, I could see myself on that college campus. You know, these are silly things, prom committee, but it's like, I want to be involved in what they're involved in. This is my faculty advisory committee, just work, it's my colleagues. We get together and meet about issues with, 
with, um, among the teachers, connecting with students, just looking for ways to meet needs, and just praying that God would give me spiritual eyes to meet the needs of others. Okay. Like, this is someone I got to share the gospel with. This was a student of mine, and she just always around me and asking me questions all the time. And after she graduated, we we hung out a lot last the summer after she graduated, and I just shared the gospel with her. And so, um, this is just me at a pep rally, <laughs> doing something <laughs> stupid. <laughs> and these are people that I work with, just to give you context. More pictures. Keep going. And just, absolute, I think the, the truth that all truth is God's truth. And when you understand that, that God uses all people to communicate his truth, and you realize that truth can be found in secular places. And I see God's handprint everywhere I turn. It's Hamlet pondering the afterlife as he commits suicide, or I'm sorry, about committing, su contemplates suicide. Or Ray Bradbury speaking through his character, Guy Montag, and he says, he's speaking the truth that people often fill up their lives and move through their day so quickly in order to keep from thinking about how empty they are. And you can imagine how far you can go when these, you know, t talking about things, about life. Um, and then, next one. These are just my thoughts and vision and passion about it. Um, teaching in public school keeps my heart tender toward the poor. There's a lot of hungry kids who don't eat all weekend. Their fridge is empty. They live for those two meals that they get at school. And when we have a day that all the middle class kids don't come because they're testing, the older, the older they tell them not to come to school, do senior shadowing, guess who comes to school? The kids that need to eat. They'll come and sit in, sit in the auditorium so they can eat that, those two meals. Even, even though the rest of the kids are out for the day sleeping in. Many of the students, uh, my students are employed, and it's not to make extra money. It's to make ends meet. Um, I took one kid out in the hall and I said, you just, you started out working so hard and it seems like you're slacking off and I just wanna know what's going on. He said, I've been working every night at Amazon and I just, I'm so tired. And then another student who's, she's a shift manager at a big chain for a restaurant. And she said, uh, you know, her father was sick with cancer and then he died. And she said her mom just can't make ends meet. So she's trying to help out and she's like a cute, extreme couponer. And I said, wow, I said, you're gonna, like, you're gonna run a company someday. And she said, no, I'm nothing special. I just, I, I just had to find a way to help my mom. And then my heart's tender towards immigrants, kids that work hard. In, I've got kids in my class that they're trying so hard. They, got, they speak broken English, but they're trying. I've got kids from Haiti, Congo, Liberia, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Colombia, just a few. And my high school has the largest number of English language learners in Lexington. And one of my immigrant kids kept falling asleep in class and I asked him, what's the deal? He said, my dad and I are up from 12 to 6, we are pouring concrete to make money. So he, well, that's why he was sleeping. My heart's tender towards kids who have lots of money and opportunities. And I have some who've been blessed financially, and some of them feel really empty. Mom and dad aren't ever around, or home isn't a safe place, home isn't a happy place. 
I have a heart for kids, my, my heart's tender towards kids who have incredible academic ability. In one classroom, three students with a 36 on the ACT, 15 in one room with an ACT of over 30, three National Merit Scholars, two in, the, two in running for the Coca-Cola Scholarship, which is 86,000 applicants. One just told me he's gotten into Yale just now. Um, but with academic ability comes pressure from your, your, yourself or your parents to perform, to keep good grades, to get into your dream school. My heart's tender towards the ones, this is the big one, the kids that, the ones nobody else thinks have any potential. And these are the ones that I really feel I love these kids. They're the ones that most people think their parents don't care about their education. And there are some who don't, but there are also parents who work multiple jobs, many work evenings, many have jobs without paid leave and are unable to afford childcare and public transportation. And when you call them on the phone, phone calls to the parents often reveal people who have the same desperate desires that I have for my kids to do well in school. <coughs> so sorry about my, my cold. Um, but through teaching, <coughs> I meet the parents of these kids that are sitting in my classroom that have slipped through the educational cracks. And I get to be, I may be the first person to, that can tell them, your child is like a set critic, has such great critical thinking skills. You should hear them in class. And they, oh, I thought you were calling me to tell me he was bad. <laughs> no, he's an incredible speaker. You should hear him read. This kid's reading, he reads to the class. He performed Shakespeare for us when we were doing plays. So um, I get to be that person that does, that notices them and so that's a great feeling. I have a heart for toward kids with developmental disabilities, such as autism. And I had a student who would barely engage with me at the beginning of the year. And he'd kind of yell out, like he was kind of bitter toward me. He would say sarcastic comments. And I just kept on moving toward him. I saw him in my neighborhood one day walking, his do walking a dog. And I went up to him, I said, you walk your dog? I saw you with your dog. And ever since I talked to him about his dog, he started talking to me. And after several months of trying to connect with him, we had a discussion in class and he talked about everything. And I called his mother and said, he engaged with the class on the book. He t completely talked to, he heard everything. He didn't seem like he was paying attention, but he did. And I have students with Asperger's in every level. I've got some in AP. I, um, and when you know about it, you can help them work, you know, you can help work with them with individual needs. And last, I have a heart for those who have made choices that are different than I have made. Drug choices, sex choices, political choices. But I have a heart for them because they make me think outside of my views. They help me to walk in another man's shoes, as Atticus Finch said in To Kill a Mockingbird. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. Are there problems in the system? Yes. But are there some amazing teachers who have taught my kids there? To, yes. Um, I think of all the, kid, the teachers that, and I mean, I think of the special ed teacher at, at Dunbar who has this huge heart for the kids and gets them all to prom, pays for their tickets, takes them out to dinner. And the teachers that my boys have had that have been great. And I, um, I'm so grateful for that. And then my final thoughts are that five years ago, Zach Monroe 
came to my son and asked him to invite some guys from Dunbar to come to a Bible study at our house. And Nathan said, Mom and Dad, I just, I don't know if anybody's going to come. And he invited guys, and then Lewis has invited friends, and now Will and several students from Dunbar are still doing this Bible study. And several of the students who come to HSO are not believers. They're spiritually hungry. They're, they're calling Carrick Plummer, who's their Bible study leader now, and reminding him to send them verses, a reading guide, because he forgot to send it to them. I mean, they're telling him they're inviting other kids at school to come. They're showing up for Bible study every night, every Monday night, and inviting others to come. Is ministering to these guys messy? Sure. Is there room for growth? Yes. All I know is that many of the guys at our house each Monday night, they don't go anywhere to church. No one's dropping them off at youth group. No one's telling them, you need to go to church. But they come because they want to come. And is God sovereign? Absolutely. And I think about in the film, you know, It's a Wonderful Life, the, when Clarence sees that he's not able to persuade George to give up his intention of committing suicide, he shows him his town, family, and friends, and how they would have turned out if he'd never been born. Um, or, and it causes the viewers to ponder what their own lives might have been like if they had made different life decisions. And I just, I can't help but think about the questions in my own life. Could God work at Dunbar without my sons being there? Could he work without me being a teacher there? Of course he could. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need them. But it would look different, too, if we hadn't been there and had our hands involved in it. And that gives me joy to think that our lives are making a difference in the lives of others. Spend about 15 minutes just kind of engaging uh, with you two, if, if you don't mind. Um, let me let me ask a question, just that I had, and it sounded like Shane, you didn't want to go into this, but I'm gonna make you go into this because I think uh, I think this is something that uh, educators are here, uh, uh, students are here, uh, parents and future parents are here, and this is without a doubt one of the main questions I get uh, pastorally from parents is. You said uh, no matter what education option you choose, uh, it's going to have its own set of problems. You're just exchanging problems. So discipling your children, or if you're an educator here and you're in a particular, you know, whether you're a mom in home schools or you're a teacher in public school or a teacher um, in private school, we got some LCA and Trinity faculty here. What are those unique challenges if you were to, if you were to say that? There's a lot of them in each. Um, let me see. I Goodness gracious. Let me just glance here. The, you know, so let me go. I'll go public school. Just a few hit a couple. The strengths in the public school, you know, um, is critical thinking. You know, there's, there's real arguments. My children, currently all of mine are in public school. So I have one in Christian, four in public. So the public has its unique, um, uh, you know, it has its challenges. But I think the strengths are this, just that it's a... Um, you know, we're participating, we believe, in helping our community. We say we're for Danville. Part of being part of Danville is that the city revolves around the two schools that are there. So we feel like we're doing that. There's critical thinking there. Um, we just decided that it was for us as parents, we, we want them, it's such a push of the world that we didn't want them their first encounter with the world and all the questions that are out there to only first be in college. We feel that would be overwhelming. It's like, that's now they're not here with us. So we're trying to, there's some positives for that. Uh, you know, 
public school brings my kids. I think it helps um, maybe describe it this way. When, when, so our, our church is pretty even in all those. When the homeschoolers come to church, they view the church primarily as a social outlet. And, and they need it. That's good because that's where a lot of it happens. So they show up ready to socialize, right? They're not ready to uh, do that. They begin teaching and that. My children, or some of the public school, they show up ready. It's like, man, I'm just ready to be among Christians. And I'm ready to learn because it's been, you know, I've been out in the world and this is kind of that. And then the, pub, the, the Christian, the private Christians seem to struggle with um, uh, just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I heard that because they kind of get it all day. And so... You know, I mean, it's so, it's so intricate. That's an overwhelming question. But, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the Christian school, you'll just see a, a blending of moralism and, and Christianity. Their hearts can get dull to that. They can do that. You know, I, the, the sexual and the promiscuity and all that stuff is really in all three of them. Pornography, all those things are in all three of them. But it's just a different... Um, they hear things earlier than I intended for them to hear them. But we try to lead through those. In the, in the Christian school, it... Um, uh, I'm seeing with our folks, it's just, uh, I think there it's, um, it's really just a callousness. It's just like a covering of the sin, you know, because it's just kind of, you kind of live one way this way and then hide it so it's a lot more hidden. And how does a parent get to that? How do you make sure they don't get dull to all the hearing these things? How do you uh, get them around the lost world? You know, I mean, each one has its own struggle. The homeschoolers will struggle to, to get, uh, and some of them, some of our homeschool families are doing it great. They've got to figure out ways to get around the lost, have relationships outside their, their home, but at the same time, uh, you know, some of the struggles are that their mom sees them, they see their mom as everything and the tension in that, you know, of uh, my mom's my teacher, am I that, you know, and so uh, that becomes hard to kind of navigate and figure out how to do that. And so you're always just, you know, I, I think there's some stereotypical things that people label to them. I try to stay away from those, but there's just real struggles that with each of those that kind of come. So I could get into deep weeds with all those. So I think uh, something I tell parents <laughs> is, um, no matter what decisions we choose for our children, education decisions we choose for our children, it's going to require what I call, and this might be like, I don't know, don't start a new denomination over this. It might be good. <laughs> but improvisational discipleship, where, where you're basically on the fly <laughs> figuring out what is, what's this notes being, you know, just... When you get to children and when you get to education decisions and all these things, you're just basically at all times improvising your discipleship according to the, uh, according to the issues that are coming up. And, and I think each of these things have, have certain unique issues uh, that, 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 that you just got to be aware of, that, that parents need to be aware of. Um, what are those unique issues to these education choices? It, would you, you've done Trinity. Um, you've done Dunbar. Did you ever homeschool? <coughs> Yeah, well, with your boys, no. It, it wasn't homeschool. It was, it was home corralling, probably. But, uh, but, but what challenge, unique challenges? I know you're you're more of an expert in public realm, but but unique challenges to each of them that you found in in, in parenting. I'll say one for us. So when the homeschool was just um, while you think you know, it, there, we could dictate the schedule. We could uh, we could get more times to. Um, devotions, that type of stuff, that was a lot easier to do. It's harder in the public school. They're away six hours, you know, that's the argument. You know, that, that's the different set of weaknesses there. And if they do an extracurricular activity, now there are two extra hours afterwards. And so, man, we have to be so deliberate in guarding time and doing different things. And so that's just, man, that's, that's one you give and take on. Anything you added that? I mean, a lot of the stuff I was saying, the challenge is just, you know, 
because you, you don't know everyone, you know. Mm -hmm. When they're at Trinity, we knew everybody yeah. that, was, that they were meeting and kind of socializing with. Yeah. And so there's that feeling of that being out of control. And, mm -hmm. I yeah. don't know who's, no, who they're invited to hang out with. And when we were in the Christian school, which we have one there in Danville, it was awesome that, that how they championed the parents. That's something great, you know, like parents can be, they want parents to be involved in that way. Uh, and so you felt a lot more freedom to kind of come alongside of it um, and uh, to do that. And when we moved to the public school, um, you know, it's like, now what do you want to be around for? You know, what are you, what are you doing? Like, we want volunteer, but don't be too, too uh, uh, pushy. And, um, you know, but the flip is, is that my, it was a pretty one-dimensional uh, type, you know, so, in, but we also saw that, you know, for the uh, private Christian, with my children with that, it was pretty one-dimensional, not very diverse, same type backgrounds. Definitely not all Christians, although it was a Christian place uh, and a uh, school. Uh, and my, my daughter plays soccer and basketball. When she's playing basketball, she's with one, a completely different uh, social class that she's engaged with, and she has friends there And when she's that. And so, you know, we exchanged one bad thing for a good thing, but with that, we had another set of problems, you know, um, there. And so I just feel like you can make an argument on all of them. Yeah. Trinity, I, I, just, um, I just wanted to let you know that I haven't always been in Christian ed. My family, we started out in public education. And the Lord, I never intended to be in, in private Christian education. For me, it was really a personal road that the Lord took me through from the idea, like Cynthia, I can I, everything Cynthia said resonates with me, and I miss that part sometimes. Um, but the Lord intentionally brought me here to Trinity. And one of the things that, that I've appreciated about Trinity is the push to integrate faith and learning. And uh, my boys started out in public school. I have three. They're grown now. They're all in their 20s. They started in public school, and then they transferred to Trinity. And the way that my family integrated that small culture that they've referenced was to really intentionally seek out opportunities in the city of Lexington for my boys to serve other people and to meet people, play baseball on the north side of town. You know, he, My one son got invited to a sleepover off Georgetown Road, and he was the only white boy there. And uh, that was an exercise in faith for me to let him go <laughs> to spend the night in that neighborhood and with those guys, but it was a great experience for him. Um, so. Everything that they're saying, I would say, is true, and that no matter which route you choose as a parent, there are things that you have to do to take care of those places that will need to be shored up. When I was a mom with my boys in public school, I had to make a point to know my kids' teachers, volunteer in the school, serve on the site-based decision-making council so that I knew what was going on in their lives. Then when we transferred here to, to Trinity, it was a different role. Then I was teaching first, so it was a different role. And then it became about how do I make sure my boys don't lose that vision for the city and the connection with other people. So, yeah, I, I just got the cutoff from from Will. Let, let me just let me just uh, uh, end it with this. So bringing it back to the theme of the conference, especially I'm speaking now to you teachers, and uh, you know. To hear Cynthia's story there and the way she views her classroom, the way she views her kids and stuff like that, uh, what we're talking about here is, is you know, what 
Dr. Rum's been kind of hammering over and over again is what would it look like for a church to raise up educators um, in our city in such a way that the halls of education um, are just filled with um, people like Cynthia in the classroom. What does that do to the next generation? What does that do to the culture? Um, what would it look like for the teachers at, at, uh, at TCPC uh, to start fellowshipping together? And, and dream and praying praying for students and dreaming about what does education look like in our city? What can we be doing together? How can we partner? Uh, dreaming together. What would it look like for uh, Trinity and um, Taste Creek High School down the road to um, to teachers our teachers there to, to start dreaming together and all that? Like like what would it look like to take that network of education that is here and then a lot of you younger ladies who I'm assuming you're in the seminar because maybe you're thinking about being a teacher someday or something like that for y'all to be raised up in this kind of vision of education. That would change Fayette County, that, and which would change the bluegrass. So that's that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. Is is resubduing fallen education for the Lord um, in whatever sphere, and uh, that, that's that's what we're doing. So thank y'all so much.